2: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, team preview time. We're kicking it off in Upstate New York, the uh, the home of ACC football. We're talking about the Syracuse Orange tonight, Mike. How you doing? You ready?
1: They play football in front of God and everyone. At least they try to.
2: That depends on if God and everyone can see through the roof of the Carrier Dome.
1: Oh, boy. Or if they <laughs> even want to. Most games.
2: That uh, can be a little dicey. It can be a little dicey. Yeah, um, yeah so, Nate, uh, Mike, we had on Nate Mink. We did an interview with him earlier, and we're going to switch that here in just a minute. But, uh, Nate, the beat writer for Syracuse for Syracuse.com, um, he came on, gave a ton of insights, was, was incredibly insightful here on kind of what the, where this program stands. Um, coming off of a pretty rough year when they were coming off of a really good year before that. And how does the fan base and the donors feel about Dino Babers and where does this team really have to improve? But also kind of what's, what's the outlook? Um, I, I thought we had a really great conversation with Nate.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, This is the second straight year we've had him on. He's just an encyclopedia of Syracuse football, which I know a lot of people listening are like, well, yeah, he should be. He's a beat writer. But there's some personality with Nate that's really inherent every time he comes on with us. Um, He just has an enthusiasm about talking about football just as a whole, like Syracuse or not which is really welcome out of a beat writer. Like you don't always get that 100% of the time. So yeah, it was a really good conversation. I think some of the answers will surprise you. We asked him, you know, about Dino Babers and, and like you mentioned, Joey, kind of what that looks like, you know, heading into this year and is it a hot seat situation or is he a couple of years from that and what are reasonable expectations for the program? And Nate had an answer that I think will surprise some people. Um, Just in terms of kind of the trajectory of the program and and what Dino thinks of it just in the past and what he's accomplished so far and what he thinks of it moving forward, even coming off of a disappointing season. So, yeah, Nit was really good. Long story short. And um, he's a guy we'll definitely try to continue to have on talk about Syracuse.
2: And I think the one thing I'm going to add here is that he told us before we started recording that they have not had the chance to talk to a Syracuse player since March. They've had one session with Dino Babers since March. So keep that in mind as we go through this and you hear the depth uh, of knowledge and understanding that he has of, of this team and these coaches and this roster. There is a lot of, of value here. Um, so without further ado, here is the conversation that Mike and I had earlier with Nate Mink surrounding the 2020 Syracuse football season. Take a listen. All right, Mike. To kick off team previews, we are starting with the Syracuse Orange, and there is nowhere better to get some good Syracuse information than from our man, Nate Mink. Nate, a returning guest, uh, beat writer for Syracuse.com. Nate, welcome back. How are you doing, man?
0: I'm doing very well, guys. I really appreciate you reaching out and having me on again. It's been fun. I enjoyed this last year, and... Uh, I hope I'm, I'm previewing something this fall. I, I will
2: leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is the goal. That is the intent. Uh, hopefully, you've been holding up okay, staying busy, staying out of trouble during all the, uh, the quarantine times and the ongoing pandemic.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Actually, you know, uh, upstate New York um, has done very, very well in terms of its numbers and uh, keeping its infection rate low. You know, the state of New York, obviously, just due to its, its density, downstate in Manhattan and, and New York City, obviously had a had a really rough time, way back in in March and April and early May at the kind of the onset of this thing. Um, but the state overall, and, and particularly upstate, has done a very good job of following sort of all the health protocol, and really keeping this thing under control. So, you know, it's the rest of the country that obviously is a is a bit of a concern right now. Um, but, you know, I can say that Syracuse and, and the Orange have uh, have done their part to make sure we kick this thing off in a, in a month or so.
2: A shining example. Well, we're, we're glad that we have you on here and we're glad that we, in theory, as of now, have something to talk about in the way of a college football season. So um, I, I'm going to say this once and we'll just leave it right there. All of everything that we do from here on out with all of our team previews, all of it comes with one big disclaimer of, given what we know now, um, obviously a lot can be changed and, and there is a lot yet to be decided, but um, as, as we know now, there will be a football season. And so, Nate, I wanted to talk about that going in. And one of the, one of the things I find the most interesting about Dino Babers right now in Syracuse is kind of... Where where he stands in terms of perception within the fan base and maybe the donor base and such, you know, it was was a rough first couple of years getting his feet under him and and kind of getting the program reshaped into his image. But then in year three with Eric Dungy, there was a huge breakout um, nine and four. What was it? The it was one of the one of the top tier ACC bowls, you know, aside from the power uh, the uh, New Year's six games and all this big expectations going into 2019 and things did not go as particularly well. And really my question is, is there any amount of kind of angst among the fan base and the donors or does everybody think that 2019 was just sort of an aberration? Where, where does Dino Baber stand, you know, in terms of his status with everybody in the Syracuse community?
0: You know, I think it's, I think everyone is still kind of, cautiously optimistic that they have, you know, the long-term answer here. Um, to your point, they won they won 10 games a couple of years ago, which hadn't been done since 2001. And if not for the way the college football playoff cycle broke down, they would have gotten the automatic bid to the Orange Bowl if the Orange Bowl hadn't been hosted in a playoff semifinal back in 2018. So they were <laughs> – in terms of a breakthrough and in terms of maybe where this program ceiling ought to be, I mean, they, they hit it, and they hit it in year three. And I'll tell you what, I think that was even – and I think Dino has, has even – he certainly privately admitted this, and I actually think he's, he said this publicly too. I think he, he thinks they peaked earlier than he expected to. Um, and what that did was obviously <laughs> get everyone's uh, imaginations running wild and thinking that it was going to be easy to sort of replicate – that success, you know, year over year, and, and certainly last, last season when they did have, you know, a pretty nice uh, amount of re- returning contributors of that 2018 returning. Um, you know, this is still a program, though, and, and Dino's talked about this, you know, extensively, that it does not have the depth in recruiting to really hold its own, against really the upper class and the upper half of the ACC. And you know it's going to be really an uphill slog, I think, to ever to ever get that at, at a place like Syracuse, um, anytime in really you know short order here. But you know the, he's uh, he's made some progress in recruiting. You know they're, they're really trying to make some some small, quiet investments within the program that they hope will translate into a little bit more consistent recruiting success. Um, and, you know, I think everyone kind of took that 2018 team that won 10 games. You know, they, uh, he built up a lot of goodwill, not only with that year, but even going back the previous year to 2017 when they beat number two Clemson in the Carrier Dome. I think that was really the moment that really woke up a lot of those donors and a lot of the fan base and said, whoa, you know, uh, this, guy's, this guy's the real deal. This guy did something that really hadn't been done. In 30 years, in beating a, an AP top two team, and I think that gave him a little bit of a, a cushion here, at least in the next couple of years, to really see what he can build, really when he gets the the totality of the program under his wing, you know, bringing in really a full roster of players uh, in his vision. Um, so I don't, I don't. I don't really would I wouldn't subscribe to any idea that he's he's on the hot seat going into 2020 or even frankly 2021. Uh, he did sign a, a what the school is calling a long-term contract extension that was signed at the end of that 2018 season. So I think he is contractually locked up here for probably well into the 2020s. Um, and I don't think any schools and especially a, a private school like Syracuse that. Uh, is pretty frugal with their spending, is going to be in any hurry to to uh, to show him the door, uh, even with another uh, subpar season or two.
1: Nate, Syracuse goes 5-7 and seven last year, and a lot of blame, I think, a bit unfairly, was placed on Tommy DeVito, and it was a little bit strange, because I think the outside perception, just given what DeVito was able to do in relief of Eric Dungy a couple of years ago, was that you know, DeVito had kind of underperformed last year, which I'm not sure was really the case. I mean, he threw for 2,300 yards. He had 19 touchdowns. um, He completed over 63% of his passes. Like the bigger issue seemed to be on the offensive line, which as Joey so eloquently put before we hit record, it was like he was getting sacked like it was his job. Um, How do you evaluate uh, Tommy DeVito after you know, his first full year as a starter and what are your expectations for him moving forward for the Syracuse offense?
0: Yeah. You know, I, I, and I don't mean to say this as, as any sort of cop-out, but you almost have to grade him incomplete just for all the reasons, you know, you guys pointed out, you know, he was, he just had a really, really tough year. It was his first year as the full-time starter. You know, I think maybe some of us, uh, Put a little too much stock in the amount of experience he gained during that 2018 season. What he did, he effectively played, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of garbage minutes in the early portion of the schedule. He played about half of the, the Florida State game, uh, which Florida State was was not a particularly impressive outfit that year. And then he came on in the like the past the the, the last five minutes of the North Carolina win and, and played exceptional and led them to a, a double overtime victory in the carry dome. But, you know, really last year was really going to be his first year as the, as the guy. And, uh, perhaps the the biggest thing that we overlooked is the amount of turnover on the offensive line, not in maybe the, not in maybe the experience or the total number of returning starters or total number of players that had starting experience under their belt. But really I looked at those two tackles and that was the big, that was where the big hole was. Um, You know, they got exposed last season because they lost their right tackle uh, to graduation from the previous year. And then the guy that they had pegged as their starter at left tackle, Aaron Service, had to move inside to the center position, you know, by halftime of of the season opener against Liberty because their starting center got knocked out with a head injury and ended up missing the full season due to concussions. So... They were in a really tough spot at the offensive tackle spots. Um, those are obviously going to be <laughs> your primary guys to try to handle the edge rushers and the defensive ends in the ACC. And the ACC, if, if nothing else, you can you can definitely say that they put out some really really good defensive line talent year over year. Um, and they they quite frankly ha- uh, handled pressure very poorly last year. And Tommy was was under duress. a a good chunk of the season. You know, he was obviously sacked. You know, I don't have the exact number, but I I would say it's around 50 times. Uh, He was nursing a a rib injury and, and some other injuries really throughout the whole course of the season. So he was in just a very, very difficult position to really succeed. And to his credit, I think in the beginning of the season, he did make, you know, some poor decisions out there at times. You know, he was a little... Uh, careless with some of his decision-making, and and that led to some turnovers and some key spots. Uh, I think he got better with that as the season wore on, and I think those are the sort of signs of development that if you're Syracuse's coaching staff, you're pointing to and say, hey, hopefully all those early-season mistakes are a thing of the past, and if we can really clean up the pocket for him and give him a chance to stay in there and throw the ball, get any kind of semblance of a ground game, going consistently you know that's when you're really going to see his you know his god-given abilities in that arm really start to start to show and and that's really what we're going into this season looking to see is uh you know how much was last season really a byproduct of the complementary pieces not being as developed as you'd like to see or how much is it of Tommy maybe not uh seeing things the right way on the field and and is that an area of concern moving forward? So um, there's a lot of folks looking to see what he's got this year, and, and I think there's no one more eager to get out there to prove himself more than that kid. He's put in a lot of work this offseason. He's really, really changed his body. Uh, he's benching, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 325 for a couple reps. He's really putting on some Ooh. weight and some muscle to be able to absorb some of that contact and some of those hits that he took this year because, you know, he's got to stay durable He's got to stay healthy. It's really the same story with Syracuse. You know, he's he's the clear he's the clear cut starter. And uh, if he goes down or, or is ineffective, you know, there's there's some questionable uh, backups on that roster that you know they're not going to feel too good about if if thirteen goes down.
2: Nate, I want to circle back to something real quick. You you just like off the top of your head estimated that he was sacked probably about 50 times last year. That was on the money, correct. It was exactly 50 sacks allowed. This is why we bring Nate Mink on the preview of Syracuse is just, again, knows everything there is to know about this program. Um, So one of the things that we haven't mentioned yet is the fact that not only so the offense is going to be under new direction, the offense getting a new coordinator, Sterling Gilbert coming in, but I, to some degree, I don't know how much we need to talk about that, because it seems like under Dino Babers, the offense is always going to look a certain sort of way, and I don't think that changes with the move uh, from Mike Lynch to Sterling Gilbert. Now, on the other side of the ball, uh, Dino did make it a point to change his defensive coordinator. Um, and there's, there's kind of two pieces of this. is A, kind of what was the method to the madness of the change that was made? But before that, can we just like – take a step back and walk through the process that led us to having uh, Tony Lynch as the defensive coordinator here at Syracuse. It just
0: wasn't, it wasn't looking right guys. It's uh, you know, their, their defense I thought played really, really well uh, most of the 2017 season and pretty consistently throughout the entire 2018 season. And they got off to a, a decent start in in week one of of last season, you know, shutting out Liberty. Um, but they just they, they didn't they did they got torched too many times, um, and it was just going to be really really difficult, I think, from a from a program standpoint, to recruit the type of athletes you need on the defensive line, to be able to consistently get pressure in a four man. You know Tampa 2 style defense that that is going to be aggressive and it's going to be versatile. But you know you're really going to be asking you know your men to uh, to do work in there. And you're really going to ask your defensive line, your your two ends, to really pressure the the quarterback. And and I think you know they they had good defensive line talent in the room last year. I just don't think they were happy with the way they were they were recruiting in that area, and I think they were starting to understand that, hey, this is going to be pretty difficult to to maintain any sort of consistency with. So uh, you know they ended up making the change they they got uh, rid of Brian Ward after a, a particularly poor performance against Boston College where they gave up a ton of rushing yards and a ton of points to a Boston college team that <laughs> really wasn't doing that much on anyone last year, and uh, they opted to go to a three-three-five defense and, and Tony White, and, you know, this is a defensive style that Dino had been looking at for a couple years, he said. Um, he really became enamored with it. He liked how it relied on, again, maybe some undersized kids up front who were twitchy, who were athletic, who had quickness and could still find ways uh, – to generate pressure and chaos in the backfield um, with, with sort of the frames and the, and the athletic abilities that they were going to be able to target with more frequency and, and with more success on the recruiting trail. And, you know, the initial plan was to bring in really sort of a, a disciple of, of the 335 with Zach Arnett. He was uh, the defensive coordinator under Rocky Long at South, uh, San Diego State. They had an agreement in place with Zach to, to come here and, and be the defensive coordinator. They put out a press release. They announced him as the guy. And then maybe a week or so later, he took a job at Mississippi State and uh, went down there to Starkville with, with Mike Leach. And so they had to sort of scramble to find a, another guy. And, and to me, when when Dino made the hire with Tony, bringing him over from Arizona State, that signaled to me that. that he was really going to go all – he was all in on the three-three-five at that point. You know, it wasn't about getting the best available coach. It was, hey, I really want to take a shot at, with this system, and I think this system is going to be the best defense to sort of complement my style of offense and, and try to steal away some extra possessions and, and create turnovers and cause some chaos and really give my offense a chance to, to get more chances to score because that's, that's what this program is built on, guys. I mean, this is, this is a program. That closely mirrors what Baylor had been uh, under Art Bryles and they obviously went with a veer and shoot very very up-tempo offense and it was predicated really on scoring a bunch of points and trying to put pressure on the opposing offense to keep up and you know the theory was if you start putting pressure on an opposing offense to keep up uh, maybe you can force them into some mistakes and and go a little quick too quickly to, to, their, to their liking. And that's where you start to generate some turnovers, steal some extra possessions and start to pile on, on points and go up, you know, two, three possessions a game. But, um, but no, I think, I think the defense of, of change is, is going to be, is, is going to be a, it's going to be a multi-year process for sure. You know, I don't think anyone's expecting and Dino has, Again, to Hitch's credit, been very transparent about this. He he looks at this as, as really a, a three-year job to get this three-three-five defense up to the standard that you know a lot of people are going to come to expect uh, out of this out of this system. And and it's it's about you know recruiting the right personnel and and teaching and and uh, teaching the defense. And that's where I think they're a little bit behind due to the pandemic, is they lost so much practice time in the spring, and they've been forced to do a lot of their meetings, you know, obviously online, and they really only got into the crux of their, their on-field work with the coaching staff over the last week or so when they were allowed to do these walkthroughs as part of the, the six-week run-up to the season. Uh, so they, they got some catching up to do. There, there's going to be some some uh, new positions for some guys to learn, some obviously some new terminology and new responsibilities for some guys to learn. Um, But, you know, they, they got a plan in place on that side of the ball and it's just going to be, you know, time over tension, right? Be, you know, putting the time in and, and uh, continue to recruit the guys and and do some work in the strength and conditioning department to build the the guys that they do have in the program to make them stronger to complement that twitchiness and that speed that they arrived here with so you know well it remains to be seen you know what year one will look like in this in this defense but uh you know it's certainly I think uh, a system that Dino has had his eye on for for quite a while
1: Nate there's holes at receiver obviously you spoke to the scheme change and the fact that Syracuse doesn't you know, have a ton coming back in their front seven on defense. What do you think is the most urgent need on the Syracuse roster heading into the 2020 season? Like what area do you think needs to develop more quickly? Is it playmakers at receiver for Tommy DeVito? Is it adapting to the scheme change defensively? What do you think is the most urgent need for Syracuse heading into new year?
0: You know, that's, that's a good question. You can really go in a lot of different directions with, with that. Um, you know, I still look at the middle of their defense, you know, uh, and, and think that needs to be addressed because I think that was really the downfall of the last defensive coaching staff that, uh, and, and the defensive coordinator is is once they lost uh, even even one guy last year to injury in McKinley Williams, they lost him in the preseason in, in maybe the first week of practice, and that that absolutely killed their run defense. Uh, and it really just took away a lot of a really really important piece in the middle of that defense. And then you start going back a level to the linebacking unit, and again, you know, you have to rebuild there. You you lost really your two main contributors in Lakeem Williams and Andrew Armstrong to graduation. Uh, so now you're now you're moving uh, you're playing young guys and first year contributors at linebacker again. And and again, there's just got to be a lot of learning. You know, I, I will say that I think they're, they're getting longer and they're getting bigger at the linebacker position. And I don't think that's by accident. I think that Syracuse, if you look at their roster the last few years, they've been on the smaller side at that linebacker position, you know, even going back to, you know, guys like Paris Bennett and Zaire Franklin and you know even even LaKeem Williams quite frankly was a little on the smaller side but they you know they had some tough guys in there but but they just weren't able to really uh, you know bring the bring the power to the to the to that rushing point of attack you know they were they were sometimes being asked to do a lot in the middle and and a lot of that I think is is again has to be addressed in recruiting but but i would start there i would think once once you can shore up your middle of your defense you know that obviously allows you to be strong against the run and then if you can stop the run that opens up some other things that you want to do creatively on defense and in terms of getting after the quarterback so that's what i would say on the defensive side of the ball you know offensive side of the ball you know interestingly they've been they've had some trouble the last few the last few recruiting cycles really honing in and finding and, and being able to get their quarterback to, to come in after DeVito, they they've, they've seem to have been targeting the right guys. They're just not getting uh, – they're not getting the, the – they're not, they're not closing the door in recruiting. Um, they've had a couple Northeast guys that they lost to Miami and, and Penn State and schools like that, which is kind of the – again, goes back to, to trying to upgrade the recruiting in the program. But, you know, they, they, they're bringing it – they brought in a kid this cycle uh, out from California who's – more of a dual threat guy, similar in the mold to Dungey, who they had uh, previously. So we'll see uh, if he's the long term answer after Devito. But you know, I, I you know it still starts up front with this program. You know, they still got to do a good job identifying and bringing in you know quality linemen. They really can't afford to miss on too many offensive linemen because you know those guys take a little a little bit of time to get ready and develop and and they need their time in the weight room. And, you know, there's really a probably in most cases, really a two to three year window there where they got to get ready. And if, and if they start missing on some of these kids, or if they're proved to be not durable or, or whatnot, I mean, that's when they can really get in the jam in terms of, you know, fielding a, a competent unit on offense, because as we saw, you know, not just, not just last fall, but if we go back even to, to uh, 2016 Dino's first year they had a lot of injuries up front back then too and, and as well in 2017 and and it's tough for this it's tough for this program to really overcome a lot of injuries up front um, you know really the, the, the one the one thing you can say about that 2018 team is that they were they were durable up front you know they were they did not lose anyone I think they had the same starting five For all 13 games that year and they obviously had you know I think three three senior starters on that line including two senior uh, tackles so they were very experienced up front and that's that's what they're slowly trying to build up to again and I think you know they should be better on that side of the ball this year you know because they returned four or five starters um, and they got some sort of uh, some experience under their belt but I still think you know, next year is when they're really going to be geared up to have, you know, the best chance at really a breakthrough season like they saw in 2018. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it's it's going to coincide with another veteran offensive line.
2: Nate, we've, we've talked so far about a number of, of pretty big names that are going to be tough to replace for this Syracuse team and trying to find guys to fit in those spots where there, there's a hole. But there's There's one loss that we haven't mentioned yet and is one of the biggest of all, and that would be the punter Sterling Hoffrichter. Um, He was drafted in the seventh round by the Falcons. And I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase my man Pat McAfee saying this guy hits big balls. Like he is a, he had a hell of a leg. He was a first team All-American punter last year. I mean, just a, a beast of a player Replacing him for Syracuse is going to be tough, but it, it seems like they're in a position to do it. And having a guy that doesn't have quite as big a leg might not be the worst thing for this coverage unit.
0: Well, you know, interesting Sterling. If you actually if you actually try to get the ideal uh, frame on a punter, Sterling would be considered undersized. I mean, he's 5'10", He's not a he's not a real big kid, but. The leg power that he generates is is obviously on the charts that he can really really drive the ball and really really create a really impressive hang time with it. Um, Not too many punters get drafted into the NFL. Uh, The last two that played at Syracuse both got drafted into the NFL. So they've had a really nice run here over the last half decade or more uh, in in terms of really having (laughs) that position be – you know, obviously the most consistent on, on the on the roster, quite frankly. And now they now they're turning it over to a freshman named James Williams, who's from down in Georgia. Uh, you know, <laughs> as much as these guys are evaluated, he's evaluated very well by the by the scouting services that that focus in on specialists and, and kickers and punters. Uh, he's going he's on campus. He's he's really by all intents and purposes going to be expected to, to win the job in camp and, uh, you know, turn into what they hope to be as a four-year player like Sterling was a four-year player. Um, obviously have not seen him kicked because he just showed up on campus uh, early this summer, but, uh, you know, it, it helps, I think, to, to kick indoors. You know, Sterling obviously has kicked well outdoors too. <laughs> um I think, you know, I don't think they're going to be overly concerned with, with that position. I mean, it's, it's, they've had really a nice run of spe- – not only the punter, but the whole operation has really done a great job. Uh, you know, the long snapper's been, been consistent. I don't even remember the last time they've had a bad snap on special teams, quite frankly. Um, you know, their they, they're gunners obviously have had their, their lives made a little bit easier. A lot of the times because of Sterling Tang time, but they've had they've had good guys that can shed blocks and get down there and cover kicks well. I think their kicking game will continue to be a a, a strong suit for for this program. Absolutely, but you're right. I mean, a very very overlooked position loss on this roster, and and frankly, guys, one that's probably taken for granted, um, and you don't really you don't really consider it to be a problem unless it rears its ugly head and. You know, fortunately, it just hasn't been it hasn't been an issue that's reared its ugly head very often, really, over the last six, seven years.
1: All right, Nate, taking a look at the schedule and we'll preface this for our listeners by saying this is the schedule. As of July 29th, this is the newest schedule for Syracuse. We don't know when the games will be, but we know who Syracuse will be playing home and away, at least for the ACC games. So Syracuse's home schedule, BC, Duke, Georgia Tech, NC State, Wake Forest. Seems relatively manageable to me. The away schedule, Nate, Clemson, Louisville, North Carolina, Notre Dame, and Pittsburgh. Seems almost like Syracuse could... Almost flip the script and go winless on the road and win every single game at home. That's just kind of how this schedule feels. Without knowing when these games are being played, what do you think of this schedule overall for Syracuse? The draw with this new scheduling model.
0: It's tough. It's tough, guys. No so doubt. You know, and it, it's tough. I know. You know. I know the home schedule does not look overly. Uh, difficult, but you know every every eight ACC game for this program is difficult. I mean, this is a, this is a program that has only finished above 500 in the league once, and that was and that was obviously the 2018 season when they won 10 games. Um, so, so, I think you know having to play a 10 game conference schedule is intimidating in and of itself uh, for for these guys. Um, but they're obviously going to be up to the challenge, but but no doubt the the road, the road schedule jumps out to me. Absolutely. I mean, I know there's, there's a school of thought that says, well, if you're going to have a road schedule as as difficult as Syracuse's is, this is the year to have it because you might not have fans in the stands. You might have reduced capacity in the stands. I get that, but I'm also, I'm also looking at the rosters of these road games and that's, that's what jumps out to me. You know, it's, you know, forget about Clemson's fans. They're playing Clemson's players. You know, they're playing Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne and and those guys. And and uh, Louisville returns a ton on offense, and they put up 56 on them last year. Um, Pitt had a really really fortunate offseason where they got a lot of their draft eligible junior draft eligible juniors to return for another year as seniors, and they look really really good defensively. Uh, with Parrish Ford and, and Jalen Twyman and Patrick Jones coming back, um, North Carolina obviously has a, has probably the second best quarterback in the league in Sam Howell, and Notre Dame's Notre Dame, right? I mean, they're going to be as as goofy as this still sounds. They're going to be in contention for an ACC title, I think, this year. So uh, that that road schedule is brutal. Um, and then you look at Wake Forest. They, uh, you know, I think they have some really, really nice talent coming back with Carlos Basham and, and Sage Surratt, who, you know, really Syracuse didn't see last year because he unfortunately got injured before the season ender last November. Um, it's it's going to be tough. It's, it's going to be tough. And Syracuse just is it's, – it's a tough league for Syracuse right now because their margin for error is so small. And, you know, you can say that for a lot of programs in the ACC, obviously, but you know, for this one, if in particular, if they get dinged at the wrong position, you know, again, anyone on the offensive line, if they lose a defensive lineman, um, you know, they're going to be hurting. know secondary, I like their secondary with Cisco and and Trill Williams and Ify Melifonwu, but you know, if one of those goes, one of those guys goes down. Um, you know you're asking a, a backup to step in and play meaningful minutes and and you're asking a backup to step in in a new system and play meaningful minutes so it's 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 by no means is anything going to come easy for these guys but um you know that's that's the way it is i mean that's that's what they sign up for when they come here and and you know they i think there's there's some enthusiasm around the schedule from the from the player standpoint you know i think they they look at an opportunity to play some of these teams that they didn't expect to play this year, like, like a Notre Dame, obviously uh, like a Sam Howell in North Carolina. And that, that gets their attention. Um, And there's enough guys that are still on this roster now that were, that were around in 2018 when Notre Dame beat them 30 to three in Yankee stadium in a game that, you know, they really didn't feel like they put anywhere close to their best effort on the field. A lot of those guys, You know that was a game that, you know, really Tommy DeVito had to play the majority of that game because uh, Dungy got hurt early. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of underclassmen in that Notre Dame game that are now seniors and upperclassmen that you know are looking forward to the opportunity to get another shot at at Notre Dame and you know they're hoping they get it. You know I don't know what the outcome will be, but you know the fact that they got the chance to uh, is really all they're they're focused about sitting here in the first week of August.
2: So, Nate, last, last question, and this is the million-dollar question, is knowing kind of what we expect from Syracuse in terms of some, some development bounce back, but also seeing kind of what this schedule is and knowing what the league is, for those 10 conference games that we know who they're playing and where they're playing them, what, what would you say is a reasonable record prediction here a record expectation that people should have? You know,
0: I I think if if they split those 10 conference games, that's that's an exceptional season for 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 this program and and kind of just where they're at right now, in terms of where they're at uh, as a, in their transition period. You know, you you get a 500 conference record. You know, that's a that's a really good foundation to sort of build off going into year two of of for all intents and purposes a a, a new coaching staff. Um, you know, knowing that you're going to lose some of those key contributors probably to the, to the draft early, but, you know, you still feel good about the season you put in. But, you know, guys, I can, I can see it anywhere from, from, from two or three wins to, to four or five. I wouldn't really – I don't think I can push it past five, five ACC wins right now. I mean, it's going to be tough. I mean, I don't know – again, the, the big caveat is we just have no idea – how any of these teams are going to be mentally and physically at the start of the season. I mean, just from all the time off. So it's, it's really, you know, as, as unpredictable in some ways as you're ever going to see it, because, you know, we can talk about Louisville and, you know, all those, those four, 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 three guys that they have on offense, you know, we can talk about Pittsburgh and and that front seven and that, and that secondary that they have coming back But, if they didn't put in the time this offseason, if they're just if they're just mentally unchecked or just not there because of concerns back home or, or any sort of any million thoughts that could run through an eighteen to twenty one year old's head, you know Syracuse's roster included, obviously. I you just don't know what you're going to get. So it's 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 and it's going to be week to week. I mean, it really is. I mean, you you might have. Personnel that's just not available because of of the virus. Um, you're still going to have <laughs> virus not included. You're still going to have the typical bumps and bruises and football injuries that pile up. So that's always a that's always a crapshoot to some extent. Um, it's just I you know that having said all that and setting all that aside, right now if I look at everyone's roster at full strength and the schedule that I think this this program goes up against this this year. I, I think they're going to be underdogs in, quite frankly, eight or nine of the games. You know, I can't see them being favored in any game except for maybe Boston College, maybe Duke, and Georgia Tech, you know. So uh, it's going to be – it's going to, like I said, it's going to be tough for these guys. I mean, it really is. But I, I think, you know, it, it it's important for them not to – you know, put out a, a two and eight or a one and nine because that's really going to, more than anything, that's going to hurt you in recruiting. You know, it's, it's, and that's really what I think the name of the game is for this program right now is trying to gain momentum and build traction on the recruiting trail. And, you know, if you go out there and you beat Pitt and you beat BC, which are right now two programs that, quite frankly, are, are probably out recruiting you right now in the Northeast. You know, that makes a statement. That sends a message. I mean, that's, that's what I think this season is, is, is going to be of more import on, is, 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 making, is making sure you're showing recruits that you can punch up a, a class or two in the ACC and you can hold your own in the league. Um, otherwise, you're going to sort of just be stuck in this, this purgatory on the recruiting end, and, and, and that's not a place that you want to be if you want to have any sort of long-term success.
1: Well, Nate, thanks so much for joining us, and you've now been on here a couple times, so you're officially a regular. Uh, so, hey, thanks that's so great. much for joining a, a, us. Do so I get
0: like an engraved engraved mug or, or a koozie or something like that, guys? What, we what can make
2: jo- Joey. I think we can make that happen, right? Come on here one more time. We'll get you the toaster oven. <laughs> that that's hey. Bought a house in
0: uh, bought a house in May. Toaster oven is not something we own right now.
2: So that would, that would work. <laughs> <There> you <go. laughs> there you go. Well, you're motivated, you're motivated to come back then.
0: Yeah, That's all. That's all I need. That's all I need to know.
1: Perfect. Awesome. <laughs> Nate. Well, thanks. <laughs> thanks so much for joining us and uh, let us know where our listeners can find more from you.
0: Uh, you can read all my work at Syracuse.com. Easy enough. And I'm on uh, Twitter at Nate. My last name precedes my first name, and uh, I probably don't tweet as much as I should. But I, any any time I write a story, it will absolutely be tweeted out. So if you if you like my work, you can find it on Twitter. If you like my opinions, uh, you probably gotta wait for next year's show because I, I keep my I keep my thoughts pretty close to the vest and off Twitter because uh, you know usually usually Twitter's. Twitter's hit or miss sometimes when it comes to analysis and opinions. <laughs> fair. <laughs> totally fair.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and with that, Nate, we uh, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been incredibly informative. We uh, we can't wait to have you back on here sometime soon.
0: Yeah, this is always fun, guys. Always a highlight of the summer, for real. I'm not, I'm not being facetious. This is awesome.
2: Appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Stay safe. All right. Yep. You two guys. Take care. See you. All right, Mike. That was Nate Mink. Uh, again, really great conversation that we had with a guy who, I, I'm dead serious, knows more about that program than about anybody. Um, he, he might know more about that program than a couple of the coaches do, for all I know. I mean, it is a, a really great conversation we had with him. I, I mean, lots to, to take away from there.
1: Yeah, given what Syracuse did on the field last year, it wouldn't surprise me if he knew more than some of the coaches. <laughs>
2: um, but, <laughs>
1: but, but anyway um, yeah I thought the answer that he gave and I referenced this kind of in the intro here earlier the answer that he gave about Dino Babers and the fact that he thought the program nearly hit its ceiling in, in the 9-win season a couple of years ago and that they're really just trying to find a way to make that a bit more consistent I think was pretty enlightening um, and the fact that 9-win that season kind of really early on in his tenure really shifted expectations and maybe an unfair way, given, you know, what the Syracuse program historically has been on the football field. Um, But taking all that into account and and the fact that, you know, Tommy DeVito coming back, you got a veteran quarterback at this point, because that's what he is. Um, And Mm -hmm. the hope that the offensive line plays a little bit better uh, than it did last year, because it couldn't have been much worse. Um, I think all that works to Syracuse's advantage. And to be honest, I came away from the interview looking at the schedule, which we'll touch on here in a moment. Um, I come away a little bit more optimistic about Syracuse football than maybe I was going into the conversation, which happens frequently, but it definitely happened after this conversation we just had.
2: Yeah, I mean, there were a huge disappointment last year coming off of what was a decidedly really, really good 2018 season and there there is reason to think that they will improve or bounce back here in 2020 but th- there's there's another element at play and in, in especially in college football you see this where a team can improve from year to year but you might not see it in the record um, and, and unfortunately that's a little bit of I think what we're looking at and, I, and kind of what Nate was suggesting we might be looking at this year w- we mentioned this on our overall season preview podcast was that Syracuse and their schedule is it's it's really interesting. Um, this is the this is the schedule that if you'll remember we looked at and we said Syracuse could win all of their home games and they could lose all their away games. I mean the away schedule is brutal. They they not only will they decidedly not be favored in any of those games none of those games might be a spread within a touchdown. I mean it it should be big underdogs in each of those games. And so it, as we look at record predictions Mike I I think Nate's onto something, saying that you're probably a little bit delusional if you're predicting more than five wins on this schedule. That's just not a reasonable prediction at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a it's a brutal schedule, especially on the road. And you know the prevailing thought here that we've discussed and Nate brought up as well is that you know, it's not really just like home in a way that matters. It's really kind of what the rosters are, right? Because we're dealing this with this COVID-19 environment. We have no idea if fans are going to be in the stands. They probably won't be. And even if they are, it's going to be a fraction of what it usually is. Uh, so, you know, going on the road to a hostile environment is just not going to exist in this football season as we know it here on August 2nd. So just kind of looking at the schedule, it's very interesting just seeing kind of the spread of games and from rosters alone, it's a much tougher road schedule than it is home schedule for Syracuse. But even so, I mean, I I think Nate's correct. I, I think you are delusional if you think Syracuse is going to win more than five games just by looking at the schedule. But I think even more than that, just given the fact they struggled so much last year, they had so many issues on the offensive line. I don't think that just gets fixed overnight. Now, I do think they'll be better up front. But it's not something where they're just going to flip a switch and go from five and seven to like eight and four, nine and three. I mean, that would, you know, or I guess they're not going to be able to do that now that uh, we're playing a 10 game schedule. But in theory, if you're playing a full season and you go from five and seven like they were a year ago to a winning record, um, that would be quite the turnaround. And I think looking at this 10 game schedule, Joey, even with these home games, you got BC, Duke, Georgia Tech, NC State, and Wake Forest. Like those are all winnable games in my mind for Syracuse. The problem is that I don't think they're going to win all of those games. I think they'll drop one, maybe two of those. So then you look at the road side of things and you're like, okay, where can they find a win on the road? And it's not that it's it's just not good when they go on the road. It's Clemson, Louisville, North Carolina, ND, and Pitt. Syracuse is almost assuredly going to be an underdog in every single one of those games. Now, it doesn't mean they can't steal one. Um, the, the game I'm looking at is Pittsburgh, most likely, because I don't see them really being able to compete with any of those other four teams, but who knows it's the ACC. I think just to be safe, I'm going to say four and six with this schedule, um, with, you know, a chance, obviously, depending on what the non-conference game is to get a fifth win there, which basically puts them right in line with what Nate was suggesting, suggesting, sorry, Nate was saying five and five in conference. And then anything more than that would be icing on the cake. I think that's pretty accurate. I'm going to go with four and six um, and just kind of come in uh, a little bit lower on them just because I'm not 100% sure they're going to be able to just totally fix that offensive line overnight in one off season, especially with the way that this offseason has been.
2: Yeah, well, some of the defensive transformation, too, being mentioned from from Nate. Like, I mean, maybe there's some improvement on some levels, but I don't think it's all that drastic i am with you i'm gonna i'm i'm going to say four and six but that might be almost best case in my mind um i i I don't i don't think that they're gonna win any of their games away from home and even the games that they do have at home i feel like it's a little bit wishful to say that they only lose one of them um right i'm gonna say four and six but I'm, i'm ready to see something worse i you know i i it is, a, it is a rough schedule, and, again, this is a team that's just – it's not proven at this point. Like, we, we had a really good proof of concept two years ago, but then what we saw last year, I mean, there's only so much, you know, your offensive line getting healthy and changing defensive scheme that are going to make you that much better of a team. Now, I will say that record-wise – Syracuse fans should be really annoyed. They don't have the chance to play out-of-conference games against Colgate, Liberty, Rutgers, and Western Michigan this year because that was probably at least three and one, if not four and zero. Oh. Um, and yet, here we find ourselves as they they might win that many or less, just playing a, a conference-only schedule.
1: Yeah, now we're now we're looking at saying, man, if they win four games altogether together <laughs> without those non-conference games on the schedule, that'd be quite the accomplishment. But you know, that's just kind of the world we're living in and if you're trying to evaluate Dino Babers too it becomes tough right because he goes five and seven last year now you're dealing with a 10 game conference schedule ideally an 11th non-conference game and now you're looking at it like okay this isn't nearly the schedule that we thought it was going to be so now is four wins a disappointment when we're playing basically nothing but conference opponents like that's the question that A lot of teams are going to ask themselves when evaluating coaches and coaching staffs and things of that nature. And I almost feel like a lot of programs are going to have to punt evaluations a year just because of how wild it's going to be, unless a team just completely bombs out. It's just a fireable offense. I I think anybody on the fence is going to take it's going to take another year, in my opinion, just given the environment we're in right
2: now. And, and, and I'll say this too, and, and I'm going to say this, especially because it is the first team preview that we're going to do. It, like what we would normally consider fireable seasons is going to have to take a pretty drastic shift this year, considering the revenues are going to be so off and the contracts oh, yeah. are not changing. It, it doesn't cost you less money to fire XYZ coach just because you didn't make any money this year. It just right. means that you – know, how are you going to pull funds together to do that? You know, so, right. it's you know, take your pick of a coach that might might be on the hot seat this year. Almost none of them will actually end up getting fired because the, the money to do it is just probably not going to be there. Um, so right. it's it is a little bit of a mulligan season for a lot of coaches. I'd have to imagine coming in.
1: Yeah. Coaches are taking pay cuts. But that doesn't mean they're taking pay cuts to their buyouts. I guarantee you they're not doing that.
2: And if they do, they need a new agent. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, all right, Mike. We got them both. We both have Syracuse at four and six. That's right in the range that Nate was thinking. I, I, I think that's a reasonable project prediction. Um, it, it, the schedule does them very few favors. I, I will say it's nice that you would, if you look at those games and rank them number one to number ten, you know, most winnable to least winnable. The five most winnable are all at home. That's a good thing for Syracuse. The, the bad yeah. thing is that. The, the, the other five games on the road are five of probably the seven or eight best teams in the conference. So that's, uh, that's pretty rough, you know, road to, uh, to hoe there. So that's um, going to be interesting to watch and see how Syracuse Syracuse can bounce back. Although I don't know if it's going to show up in the record is all
1: right No, I, I totally agree with that. And I don't know, we'll see how it stacks out and if we feel any differently once we see the schedule and kind of what it looks like but from a roster standpoint oh man that road schedule is just so brutal
2: yeah it's gonna be tough gonna be tough all right uh mike anything else before we get out of here
1: i think we're good one down on the conference previews and several several more to go like 14 more
2: 14 to go including new acc member for the moment notre dame so yeah that's right we
1: uh... we gotta find a notre dame guy
2: that's right. We will be back with those. Um, big thanks, big shout out to Nate Mink one more time. He, he was awesome and really appreciate him taking the time to come on and share with us uh, so much of his wealth of knowledge about the Syracuse football program. Uh, Mike, we are going to get out of here. We're going to go preview some more teams next up in the line, by the way, the Louisville Cardinals. Uh, we're going to chat with Ethan Moore here shortly and uh, we'll talk about a, what does year two look like under Scott Satterfield. But until then, the folks can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SI. And once again, you can find Nate Mink on Twitter at MinkNate. Uh, and also our podcast is at BC Podcast ACC. So please go find us, follow. We've been getting a lot of questions, interactions. Appreciate those who have. Uh, Mike, they can send us an email with questions, comments, concerns to so the longest email address, no man: basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Breaker, Stitcher, the Overcast app, wherever we find podcasts are sold for free, and most importantly, on Anchor. And we appreciate all those who have. And Mike, do you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias?
1: I can. Facebook. Facebook.com slash Basketball Conference Rate Review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey.
2: Please do. Please do. It's time to fire this thing back up. It is, uh, it is time for football. Um, Mike, I think that's all I got. Anything else? I think good,
1: we need to because we're behind and we have no other choice and as far as we know there's going to be football played so let's keep it rolling we're going to speak it into Absolutely. existence
2: we have no choice we are con- contractually obligated at this point to preview some more teams so yep we're going to go do that all right mike we will uh we'll talk again soon yep all right for that guy mr mike mcdaniel and for mr nate mink my name is joey Weber. thank you guys so much for listening we'll talk to you again soon and until then Go ACC!